This is the Shift Podcast. This is Martin Strong in for Shane. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, TikTok's most famous divorce lawyer gives us a big dating tip that could save you a lot of money down the line. Toronto lawyer Justin Lee tells us how divorce court works and some of the reasons divorces get nasty. Would you ditch fireworks for drones? Anugra Patel, owner of Drone Show Canada, tells us about their drone show business and what goes into making a high-tech show in the sky. Are you okay with mayors? How about tourists? All that on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. One topic that is not all that, uh, you know, positive, but it, it, it's something that should be talked about is divorce. Most people don't expect to end up in divorce court when a relationship starts, but it happens a lot. Consider Kevin Costner. His first divorce in the 90s cost him $80 million. You might think that would stop you from getting married again. But now he's headed for divorce court again with his second wife, Christine Baumgarten. They have three kids together. Uh, There's a prenup in this case, but there are still a lot of things that need to be worked out. Today, Baumgarten agreed to leave their mansion. That's a big deal because in this prenuptial agreement, it actually says that if she files for divorce... She has 30 days to move out of this mansion. And she now says uh, she'll move out at the end of August if he provides some extra support. She only agreed to that today. So it's not your typical divorce case. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe we can all learn something about it. Uh, For example, are prenuptial agreements just for the rich and famous? Do you need one? To talk about that and about divorce in general here in Canada is a divorce lawyer who made some waves on TikTok last year when he basically said that if you're out for dinner on a first date with someone and they don't at least try to pay half the bill, he says you should offer to pay it. But if they don't at least make some attempt to pay half the bill, then uh, that might be a red flag. And uh, something to think about. Justin Lee is a divorce lawyer in Toronto. And Justin is with us now. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Great. Now, as someone who I'm guessing has sat in a lot of boardrooms with bickering couples, I'm guessing you may have developed kind of a sixth sense. You know what I mean? About which couples are doomed to break up and which ones might actually have a chance. Would you say that's true? Uh, it's somewhat true. Um, sometimes, I mean, the cases do sort of go off and, and not as how you expected them to go. But, um, but I'm then an average person, I'm sure I have a better sense of, yeah, like this, these people are probably going to spend a lot of money spinning their wheels and, and destroying their, <laughs> destroying each other and, and others more likely to just get out of my face and, and, and actually move on with their lives. As, yeah. uh, as everybody should. <laughs> right. And it, it's very seldom that you hear people say, oh, my divorce was great. Uh, it was, it That's was right. wonderful. That's right. Yeah. yeah uh, every great. time, every time I have an initial consult, um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's a formality, right? I ask them, how are you doing? Et cetera. And then um, I always followed up with, um, you know, I mean, as I'm sure you're not doing that great because you're sitting in my office, you're talking to me and nobody wants to be talking to me. Right. No. <laughs> and I really want to get your theories that uh, got a lot of attention on TikTok last year about how the first date 
can tell you a lot about the person and how that relationship might go from your perspective as a divorce lawyer. But first, I want to get your thoughts on this Kevin Costner case. And I guess we civilians, we all love celebrity divorce. Uh, There was a report that she was asking for something crazy like 300,000 a month in support. But uh, I do know they have a prenup agreement and they have three kids together. And the news today was that she would agree to leave their big mansion if he agreed to kick in a little more than the prenup lays out. And the prenup says that uh, if she falls for divorce, she has to move out of this house. So I guess my question is, how ironclad is a prenuptial agreement? Hmm. It's a good question. And it's going to, and the answer I'm, I'm going to sort of give is going to start with, um, it really depends on, first of all, where your jurisdiction is, right? An American, the, the American law is not going to be the same as Canadian law. And an Ontario law where I practice is not going to be the same as, you know, BC law where you are based, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it depends on where you are. Um, and, 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 you know, and one of the more common questions I get whenever people have a consult with me for a prenup, they'll say, you know, how, how, as you say, how ironclad of it can you make it? And I, my answer is always, if you're talking to a lawyer and they tell you, yeah, I'll get you an ironclad agreement that'll not fail under any circumstances, you're talking to the wrong lawyer, okay? Mm-hmm. A good lawyer will tell you it's an, it's not possible to guarantee an outcome, which is that it's never going to be overturned or or, or, or turned invalid. Um, but our job, and a good lawyer will tell you, we'll do our best to make sure you're protected as much as possible. Um, and, uh, and there are certain things that you can do to make sure that the agreement is, is, is as bulletproof as possible, if you will. Um, but again, that kind of depends on which jurisdiction you're in, right? Just to give like a very brief sort of idea, um, for example, in Ontario, what you want to do is you want to make sure that both of you have spoken with a lawyer, right? That you've gotten independent legal advice so that nobody can go to, to the court in the future and say, I didn't understand what I was signing at the time. Right. Make sure you disclose everything there is to disclose about your finances. Because at the end of the day, a prenup is a financial tool. And how can you have made a sound decision about your finances and, and as it relates to your future if you didn't have all the relevant facts, i.e. your financials, right? So make sure all of those are disclosed. And, um, you know, and then there are a couple other things, but generally speaking, you know, there are, right, depending on the jurisdiction, but in Ontario, there are, the, the, those are the considerations that you would have um, to make sure the agreement is as bulletproof as possible. Yeah. And how common are they among sort of normal people, non-celebrity types? It's so it's becoming more and more popular. I don't think they were as, you know, uh, as I mean, you know, the the, the idea of, you know, preemptively protecting yourself, um, you know, when you're getting married is understandably not really romantic. And nobody wants to have that conversation just before they're about to say I do with one another. Um, but they are becoming more and more popular. Right. And particularly among younger people, they are more um um sort of cognizant let's say of the reality that not all marriages end up in a happy ever happily ever after fairy tale um and they're starting to more and more embrace that sort of idea that you know what this might not be our forever and if that's the case i want to make sure i'm protected um and i think also people are getting married at a later date at a later age right. these days so that means people have more assets on their uh, you know, uh, uh, underhands than, than, you know, say 50, like 30 years ago, a person who's getting married at 22 wouldn't have had. So, you know, there's more, there are more things to protect and there are more financial considerations than people in say, like my parents' generation would have had. And so, you know, the idea of 
you know, having an agreement drawn up is becoming more and more common, which is good, in my opinion, because more people should understand what they're getting themselves into. And let me tell you, getting into a relationship or a marriage is not a joke by any means. <laughs> right. And I hear this story kind of anecdotally a lot. Uh, and it, it uh, it's often a, a involving the man, the male in the in the uh, general, you know, regular uh, different sex marriage. Uh, and it's the male who kind of is treated unfairly. And I know Dave Foley, the comedian who was in Kids in the Hall, uh, he got divorced in Ontario. And uh, when he got divorced, he was on the TV show News Radio in the States. And he was making a ton of money because he was on a sitcom. But uh, he got divorced and his income was based on that. And then the sitcom ended, as all sitcoms do. And he was very public about the fact that his spousal support was so unfair to him. Uh, and it was uh, it was unbearable that the amount of money that he has to pay is that a common thing? Is like I say, it's an anecdotal story I hear, but it, yeah, how yeah. common is that? So I I don't think it's necessarily that the the man in the relationship is sort of gets the shorter end of the stick, right? But I right. what ends up happening is right when when you're thinking about the dissolution of a marriage and trying to trying to sort of you know work out the issues that arise from that. Um, the person with the money, just generally speaking, right? The person with the money is going to have to give some sort of form of financial compensation or what have you to the other person without the money. Generally speaking, uh, to this day, the the man and, and the man happens to most of the time be the main breadwinner, while the woman stays home and are, are taking care of most of the domestic duties. Let's say that's like yeah. a typical household that we see yeah. still to this day. Not typical as much as before, story. but still to this day, I think it's yeah. so much. True. Right. And so, you know, it's not necessarily like so if we reverse the situation and say we have a family who's got um, where, where the woman is a breadwinner and, and and the man stays home and raises the children in that scenario, you know, their divorce is going to look like it, the outcome of that divorce is probably going to end up in um, uh, uh, and the wife having to pay money to the husband. Right. And in that case. You know, the, I mean, just generally speaking, the person who's having to pay money out of their divorce is going to feel like the system has sort of, you know, has turned against them, let's say. Right. Um, and here's the thing, too. Right. Um, if you don't have any agreement. Right. And you get a divorce, there's already a default set of sort of rules that will apply in terms of like uh, uh, to your marriage and your divorce. That's just existing law that you, in your jurisdiction. Right. The law, as it's drafted, inevitably cannot be tailored to any specific person, right? It's like a general set of standard that the government thinks is, is as equitable as possible, knowing what they know about the current form of society and whatnot, right? And so inevitably, that means that application of those laws will result in some people not, you know, walking away with a happy outcome, right? right. Because the law doesn't is not tailored to a specific person in a specific scenario. And that goes back to the importance of getting an agreement in place, because an agreement is essentially you saying, I understand what the law says it's going to happen um, if we happen to get a divorce, but we're going to come out of that on top and then say, and then come up with our own rules as to what happens if we get a divorce so that nobody's surprised and nobody feels like they're getting a, a, a short end of the stick. And everybody, although will walk away feeling not exactly ecstatic because it is a divorce after all, will at least feel like they've had some part in, 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 informing this settlement um that that will sort of dictate the rest of their life mm -hmm. and I, I was just reading about jeff bezos the owner of amazon and he got divorced after 25 years 
So when he got married, they weren't wealthy. Uh, they were just kind of starting out and they were together. And according to the, the laws in Washington state where they live, it's a community property. So she was entitled to half, but they actually made an agreement after the fact. She took a little bit less, but that amount that she took was $36 billion. So I don't think anyone's <laughs> complaining in that one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think if I had a client and she was walking away with uh, thirty six billion dollars in her pocket, I think I'd tell her, you know, why fight? Just enjoy your yeah. life. <laughs> We're talking to Justin Lee. He's a divorce lawyer in Toronto, and uh, Justin, you you kind of made some waves on TikTok because you're quite uh, you're you're quite active on social media, which is uh, which is great for a, a lawyer. I think I think it it makes for interesting content. It probably helps your business. Um, but you said a thing, and I won't try to paraphrase it because maybe I'll let you say it. It was about when you go on a first date with someone and what that can tell you about, you know, the future of that relationship. So what what did you say and why did it cause such controversy? Yeah. So, I mean, the basic premise of what I was trying to say was, you know, it, it, when you go on a first date, you should always pay. And I was speaking from like the, the, the man's perspective. And I said, you should always pay because then you get to see sort of how the other person will um, sort of respond in that situation when you uh, when you just automatically go to pay the bill, right? If the response you get is that they are um, just gonna, um, they're going to accept sort of, let's say that your courtesy as something obvious and something that they're entitled to um, versus, uh, you know, if they sort of, you know, express their gratitude for you having to, for you paying the bill, or they even offer to pitch in, or they pay to, uh, they offer to pay the bill themselves. Um, you know, those two sort of scenarios, I think, will speak a lot about sort of that person's personality and how they perceive the dynamic between you, uh, between uh, the two of you in a relationship, right? And I think that's that sense of entitlement is what I'm trying to get at here, right? And I see in a lot of relationships, one person feeling entitled to the other person's sacrifice, their service, their their contribution, um, is 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 a common element I see in a lot of you know the relationships that don't work out, right? So for example, you have a man who is who is upset or frustrated that they have to pay spousal support to the other person because they don't think that the wife has contributed anything to their life, but they haven't. Um, you know, uh, sacrifice anything. And in fact, all they did was just, you know, stay at home comfy and, you know, uh, live off of the husband's money. But in reality, that wife has raised his children, you know, cooked and cleaned, maintained the house and, you know, saved the husband's time so that he could focus on his career, which ended up um, you know, contributing to the betterment of his career, let's say, right? right. All that is sacrifice and all that is, um, all that is contribution. And if, the man in that relationship feels entitled to that level of service from the wife, right? That leads to them thinking, well, like, why should I owe them spousal support if they haven't done anything for me, right? But as, as opposed to somebody who says, you know what? Yes, I was able to work the job that I did at a, in a career that I love because my wife stayed home, raised these beautiful children that we have together and maintained the home so that I had the free time to be able to do what I'm doing now. And therefore, of course, I owe her spousal support because I acknowledge that what she wasn't doing was not for free. Right. The difference between feeling entitled and not feeling entitled. Yeah. So I mean, that's the sort of the that's sort of the the background sort of thought that I had when I was coming up with that with within that video, and I used the idea of a first date because it's you know relatable for most people, and um you know it it, it makes for good content because it's you know it's uh it's it's digestible, right? Yeah. 
And and people, I mean, they, I, I guess a lot of people took it uh, the wrong way, didn't they? They, they were kind, kind of unhappy about that. They were very unhappy, and it, it did cause a lot of controversy. And you know, and many news outlets picked it up. And I, I remember it was I, I was just starting out in my social media social media career, let's say. And um, I, 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 I remember when I saw the first article that popped up. I was in IKEA, and I panicked. You know, like, <laughs> I've never had that kind of experience where like a news media outlet um, uh, picked up a story of mine in a way that, about a story that wasn't exactly the most sort of, um, you know, uh, mundane, right? It was, it was, right. it was causing quite a bit of controversy. And then, so then I, you know, I panicked, but I think the reason why um, the people were so divided, let's say, was there's this idea now that, um, you know, um, the people shouldn't strive for what we call, you know, colloquially called the 50-50 relationship where, you know, both parties in that relationship contribute their fair share um, and one camp says, you know what, where did all the the chivalry go? Where the the man usually pays for the dinner right. and, and then treats the girl, et cetera. And then the other camp says, oh, like, but what happened to equality now? You know, like, you know, so it, it, it's a bit of a dicey topic, to be yeah. honest with you, Martin. And, you know, is there a, is there one right answer in terms of how you go about it? I, I don't think so. But I will say this. I will say this. I think no matter which camp you're in, I think you do need to be consistent, right? And I, right. I, I was trying to make that point in the comments. So for example, if you are in the camp of, it should be 50-50, and so the woman should have to pay, um, then then that sense of equality should apply across all facets of your relationship, not just when it comes to paying the bills, right? When it comes to domestic duties, when it comes to opportunities, when it comes to who does domestic duties, et cetera, all that needs to be 50-50, right? Or if you're in the camp of yes, the man should be should pay because they're the man. Then inevitably, like the logical conclusion is, then you know there's going to be some stereotypical expectations of how each person in the relationship should sort of, let's say, uh, the the roles they should assign themselves based on their gender. Let's yeah, say. and I, I think it leads to this sort of phoniness in the dating process where the the man or and you know we're generalizing sometimes it could be a woman you know and there's same-sex couples and all that stuff but generally there's that that sort of stereotypical thing about a man he pays for everything he puts his coat down on the puddle and all that stuff but then as soon as you get married then it's all different he doesn't do that anymore and that doesn't yeah. seem very good that's right that's right and so you know um there's a no. You're right. There, there is a bit of a that phoniness element to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've seen so many couples at you know at their at their the end of their relationship. Uh, I mean, what kind of advice do you have for for people who are just starting partnerships and relationships and uh, maybe marriages and stuff? Or do, do number you one number one advice and the only advice I have for you: go talk to a lawyer. Okay, and I say this on my social media, and some of the sometimes I'll get comments that say, "Oh, you're," I mean, of course you would say that, so you want to make money. <laughs> to which I say this, Martin: If you don't want to talk to a lawyer, go right ahead and don't talk to one, because I'm going to make a lot more money at the end of it when you meet this <laughs> lawyer when you're separating. That's like, a good point. I, I don't know what else to tell you, right? I mean, if I'm, I, I like to analogize my me saying you should get a prenup to like a dentist saying you should you should brush your teeth, right? right. <laughs> like, I mean, you don't have to brush your teeth, but like. The dentist will make a lot more money on the other end, by the way. So like, it's not really financially motivated. But right. here's the thing, like, marriage is not a joke. 
as we kind of set out in the beginning, okay? And there are serious, serious legal implications, financial implications, emotional implications. Um, and for people who have children, like there are literally physical implications, okay? It's not a joke, this thing called marriage or even like a long-term partnership. So the, the least you could do is understand what you are getting yourself into. And for a lay person who's not legally trained, the only way you're going to understand what you're getting yourself into is by talking to a divorce lawyer. Okay. Like you don't have to let the other person know that you've talked to one. Okay. It's a strictly confidential process. And, but, in, but I mean, I would also say like, if you brought up the fact that you talked to a divorce lawyer, just out of sort of prudence to your partner and their reaction is, is such that they, uh, that, that they sort of question. Yeah relationship and they will they say like why why would you sort of think about getting separated before getting married and what have you i think that says more about that relationship than than you know than than people would like to admit um you know i think when somebody says you know i it's not that i don't love you and i yes i do want to spend the rest of my life with you but like the reality is such that the divorce rate is quite high and you know we have assets to protect and i want to make sure that we you know we both understand what we are getting ourselves into um, and if the partner cannot sort of understand that or share the sentiment, then you know, I think maybe perhaps there's um, there's a discussion beyond just the the, the legalese that you know that needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's such a, a, a topic that is fraught with pitfalls, but it's something we most of us go through, and it's something we need to know about. Uh, Justin Lee, a divorce lawyer in Toronto, also very active on the socials. Uh, where's the best place people can find you? Online? So uh, if people are on TikTok, they can find me at uh, J-L-E-E-J-D. Uh, on Instagram, it's J-L-E-E.J-D. Right on. Well, Justin Lee, uh, thanks for talking to us. It was great. It was a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, fireworks as well are kind of getting a bad rap these days. Not to diss fireworks. They can be pretty amazing and they're a big part of all sorts of events. Uh, it can be spectacular and beautiful. Big part of Canada today. Not trying to be a big buzzkill here. The trouble is there's a downside. Uh, first of all, they're loud. They scare animals. They cause a lot of smoke. Uh, I live a few blocks away from a minor league baseball park where the Vancouver Canadians play, and they have fireworks nights all through the summer. I think they have them on, they'll have them on Saturday. Looks great from my back porch, but my friends who live a little closer say the smoke and smell from the fireworks uh, can sometimes last well into the evening and early morning. And as I say, pets hate it. Dogs and cats uh, are often spooked. They go missing. So there's that. Um, but now we have this heightened wildfire season that is affecting all of us. Montreal and Toronto have had some of the worst air quality in the world in the past few weeks. Uh, you know, Windsor today was just brutal with all these wildfires going on around us. So the last things we want are bits of fire floating down from the sky. Uh, the entire province of Quebec has banned fireworks this Canada Day. A lot of towns in Ontario have done the same. So it's not looking that great for fireworks, but there are alternatives. The company Drone Light Show Canada began in 2020, and the business is growing. The drones put on a show that is not unlike a fireworks display. The advantage is they are pretty much silent, 
apart from any music or narration that they might have. And you can program these drones, sometimes hundreds of them, and they all go in unison and they can create all kinds of vivid, specific images in the sky. And you might say, well, that's lame. Drones can never replace fireworks. You may have a point, but it doesn't mean the drones can't be pretty entertaining as well. Anugra Patel is the creator of uh, Drone Light Show Canada, the company. He's the, the CEO, and he is with us now. Anugra, welcome to The Shift. A pleasure, uh, Martin. Thank you for having us. Great. Now, I've seen the video of the drone show, and it looks pretty amazing. All the, the lights in the sky, perfectly quiet. They seem all synced up. Uh, for people who haven't seen this kind of drone show in the sky, tell us, uh, what it looks like, how the drones work. So when you have multiple drones, like 50, 100, uh, 200, 500, 1, even thousands nowadays, when they all fly together with a light and make some kind of pattern uh, animation, or you can say art on the sky, uh, that is uh, eventually a drone light shows. You would see a light glowing in the sky and making different formations. And uh, most of the times these animations are dancing on a beat so the whole thing is called drone light shows wow and it it it's uh, very silent so you can have all sorts of music or narration and you can get really specific in a way that you can't do with uh, regular old-fashioned fireworks absolutely absolutely like you can design uh we, we usually say sky is your canvas you can design what you like some people like to put their company's name logo somebody some people like uh horses so we have shows in alberta and every shows in alberta have horses so uh whatever you like you can have uh on the on the sky wow so this is a bit more interactive than than regular fireworks so people can they could uh write the script for you they could even record something for you or or have like you say all sorts of images that pertain to what they're doing Yes. Uh, so uh, whenever a customer comes to us uh, for a drone light show, we start uh, by taking a requirement. So what is the theme? What you're looking for? What do you want to be on the sky? Uh, we, uh, One of our team members will start working on a storyline. So we kind of create a story of uh, a small story of 15 minutes. And so like a sequence with some emotions through music. And uh, that's how the, all the drone light show works. Yeah, and I guess it can be really small or really large. It could be a huge Canada Day thing in public, or or it could be uh, somebody's birthday party in a backyard or something. Yes, yes, absolutely, you're right. And uh, the shortest show we ever had was just the advertisement of uh, one of the company, and they wanted their logo to flash in between a game games going on, and then. Uh, it was, I think, two-minute show, and the longest we had was 18 minutes of show. Uh, uh, there was a Halloween show somewhere in Manitoba. Wow. So I guess, you know, the guys who fly around with the flag, you know, eat at Joe's in the back, you know, they're flying around uh, football games and stuff. I guess you're putting yeah. those guys out of business. <laughs> no, no. They, they, are, they have a different quality. Like, they'll be there <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, they're yeah, sort of, are... they're quaint. Yeah, but, but do you do a lot of a lot of advertising kind of work? 
yes uh, it has started to pick up uh, it was not so much before but now as people started to learn this is an alternative uh, this is a great solution we can have names uh, whatever for a long duration not just for a, like a short duration it can stay for some time and uh, it's a great medium to do a 360 advertisements so right. now people have started to learn about that and uh, even for any of uh, drone shows uh, usually you will have a couple of sponsors uh, sponsors and uh, they would like their logo to flash for 5 minutes uh, in different directions wow and i i guess let's let's talk about canada day and how how this can uh kind of, i don't know if it really replaces fireworks Let, let's talk a little bit about that because i i mentioned earlier about uh, you know, the wildfire situation and the, the problems yeah. with with the fireworks, like the noise and the way it affects pets and children and stuff. Um, do you think that this is something that will ultimately replace fireworks displays? Uh, I would not say it's going to completely replace the firework, but I would say it's a, another solution uh, for different celebrations. Uh, I would say there will be people liking firework they like firework and there's emotion connected that people have been seeing since their childhood so uh, i don't see uh, the drone light show replacing firework but i would see this as a great alternative which is more customizable which is safer for environment uh, you can uh, design whatever you like you can have music uh, which uh, something which is uh, pleasant for uh, animals for pet animals for horses uh, so there are so many benefits of having drone light shows over firework, but I would not say that the fire uh, drone light show would replace the firework. Right. So let, let's talk about Canada Day. First of all, what I guess Canada Day is kind of your big day of the year. So what, what do you have planned for Saturday? So uh, we have a show coming up in Wakefield, uh, Quebec. Uh, we had so many requests for Canada Day. And unfortunately, we could not manage to go everywhere. So we're going just in one place this time. But hopefully next year, we're going to multiple places for Canada Day. So we have a whole Canada Day themed uh, drone light show uh, with the music uh, in uh, uh, Wakefield, uh, Quebec. So it's going to be all based on uh, Canadian flag, maple leaf, uh, weavers, uh, and more Canadian-based uh, features in Canada Day Light Show. Wow. So I guess uh, your ultimate hope is to have a whole team, to be like Cirque du Soleil and be able to go to different cities and have a whole team covering the country on Canada Day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the dream. And uh, we are uh, marching towards that. Uh, we now have uh, two teams. Uh, we are not doing two shows in Canada Day, but we right, no, right now we have two teams, two different fleet. Uh, we have 200 drones. So... Uh, we are uh, progressing fast and I hope to have more teams in future and uh, to have multiple shows uh, throughout Canada. Uh, our main focus is Western Canada, but we want to uh, cover whole Canada because we're getting requests from everywhere. We have a show in New Brunswick. Uh, that'll be the first show in New Brunswick. Uh, it's going to be 100 drones show uh, in the city of Dieppe, uh, which is one of the biggest city in New Brunswick. So, uh, we have to make sure we are uh, satisfying all the customers need throughout Canada. Anagra Patel is our guest. He is the creator, founder, uh, I guess the all around person you need to talk to uh, <laughs> when you want to deal with Drone Light Show Canada. And he's with us now. So, yeah, you kind of are the chief cook and bottle washer, aren't you? 
uh, you have to do everything when you when you start a business when you're an entrepreneur especially you do every all sorts of things everything so and you learn you do mistakes and you grow and you yeah. share you teach so that's the best part yeah so i want to hear your uh your dream of where this business will be in 10 20 years because uh for for example on saturday you're in quebec for the canada day celebrations in wakefield how many drones do you have for that show uh so that show is limited to just 70 drones but it's going to be it's also it's a medium sized show uh, because of uh, multiple constraints, such as the we are flying closer to airport, right. and but uh, I wish we could have larger show. Uh, but I think it's going to be beautiful because we have a uh, different uh, elements uh, in the show, and for a long term dream, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of big big dreams. Uh, I think. We will be expanding uh, out of Canada too. First of all, we need to cover uh, Canada, uh, across Canada, coast to coast to coast to coast. And then we want to expand to uh, states and to... Uh, my background is uh, uh, East Indian, so I would like to expand there too. And mm -hmm. uh, so that is a 10-year ten, ten hope. And we also want to start uh, doing some kind of manufacturing in drone itself. So we don't have to rely on uh completely to vendors and we can have a fast manufacturing and more number of units of drones right and if somebody came to you and said i'm having the biggest party of all time money is no object how many drones could you assemble to to fly in the sky in perfect in perfect formation so right now 500 we can manage 500 drones uh our goal is to have 500 drones by next year end but if you ask me in uh, five years, uh, I would say 5,000 drones for sure. Uh, uh, for 10 years, then uh, sky is, a, I would say there's no limit. We can all think and plan. But I would say 5,000 5, drones is something we're looking for in the next five years. Right. So what is the process of getting these things off the ground? Is it all done previously through computer programming or is there somebody there in the moment who's kind of you know clicking things and going or is it a one one button thing the night of the show so uh, so the first process is to gather the requirements so design process happens first uh you prepare uh animations in some some kind of animation tools we use blender but you can use different tools you take that document you convert those into a different file which our drone understands and that drone that file we download into uh, each drones and then uh, that is kind of a path for drones they follow particular coordinates a particular path based on those files and uh, then uh, on site so we have multiple uh, antennas wi-fi uh, and those wi-fi's uh, they are also connected with satellite so uh, rtk base is connected with the satellite and all each drones are getting coordinates based on uh, uh, satellite. So all these are connected together. We also use uh, uh, backup redundancy. So if something happens, uh, one of the Wi-Fi is only allocated as a backup. If something fails on, uh, this Wi-Fi will work just to safeguard uh, the whole uh, setup. So you download uh, the path, you, and then then just uh, you you prepare a fence. You make sure that drones are not supposed to fly 
uh, from a particular distance. So uh, imagine your drones, uh, drones are supposed to fly on particular location. You take 10 meters or five meters from there uh, just to have uh, some back, uh, contingency. And, uh, and then you set up all those lines and then you hit start and then the drones will uh, take over, uh, take off and uh, perform the show. It's a, it's a complex situation. I was trying to shorten the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, which part will skip? I don't know. But I, yeah. I tried to shorten it. Yeah, yeah. No, we we appreciate that because I'm sure it gets into quite a level of nerdery that uh, people need to have to be able to do this. I mean, in, in your experience doing this, have you had any setbacks, any uh, any situations where the drones collided or you know caught fire or anything? Yes, yes. Uh, not not the fire, but no. uh, last year we had a show planned in Blue Mountain, Ontario. Uh, we we were on the mountain, uh, and there were huge uh, tree lines, and we initially thought we would be able to perform there, and it's gonna look beautiful from the like from the angle where audience were, uh, and. Uh, we went there, we tested, and then we learned that we're not getting satellite signals there. And it was very unfortunate that we could not uh, plan that before. We could not test uh, everything beforehand because the, like, the terrain was very not easy to go there, but the location was very nice to have. Like You get a best angle from there uh, if you're on the mountaintop. So we went there, and uh, unfortunately, we could not give the, uh, give the show there uh, so that was one of the moments I would say we learned so much and uh, it was, we couldn't give the show, but it was a great learning for us. Uh, and also during our testing, during the initial phase, first six months, we were doing a lot of testing. And uh, for sure, we lost a couple of drones. Uh, we could not program well. And then those were the learning we, uh, during our testing, we lost, uh, I would say five, six drones for sure. Wow. What do they cost in general? I guess it kind of varies. Uh, yeah, it varies approximately $2,000. About $2,000 per drone. Per drone, yes. Wow. Yeah, so you don't want to lose any of those. Yeah, <laughs> so, no. It, it's hard to get it like repaired. Like Still, we have very limited uh, vendors who can manufacture and maintain those, so it's hard to maintain also. Right. And so what's your background? Are you a computer guy or were you more into drones? How did, how did you get I into this? So my bachelor of engineering is in robotics and automation. So uh, when I was doing my engineering, since that time, I was very interested on uh, maybe flying, uh, maybe having uh, a flying robot. So that is drone. So uh, since I think 2014, 2012, I saw the drones, drone light show for the very first time. Uh, Intel was doing some testing. So I had this attraction towards drones since that time. And then 2000. 18, 19, I was very serious of uh, starting this business. And finally, we started on 2020. So my background is in robotics, and that's how uh, I'm very, It's, uh, it's it really helps me to understand the programming and the technology part of, like the physical component part of the drones. Yeah, very cool. Anugra Patel, the creator of uh, Drone Light Show Canada, the founder of this company, and I mean, have have you got any pushback from people? Do you get ever negative reviews from people who say they're trying to take our fireworks away? Uh, not uh, so. A couple of times, people were very they were dubious about what's going to happen, how this show going to be. They were nervous: is it going to be good or not? 
but after the show we always got great feedback very positive feedback uh so many people who were confused they were they were very surprised and they were very happy that they uh we had a show uh, i think june 12th we or 9th we had show in sparewood uh bc a uh, couple of people they had to stay late uh because of rain it, it was drizzling and uh they were some some they came with kid kids and they were not happy that they had to stay late but uh, after the show they were thanking us they were saying wow luckily we stayed late and it was so beautiful everybody enjoyed it so these are the feedback we were getting and uh we have seen so many people uh getting very impressed they were they were confused before not confident but uh finally they like the like the show yeah and i'm sure the the future is very bright for this kind of technology as the technology improves uh it's just going to get bigger more spectacular and uh i guess you must be very excited about it yeah absolutely i'm seeing huge change in the whole process of drone like show uh when we started it was a complex process uh from technology like from the drone components to physical drone and the software uh getting approval from transport canada uh, everything was little complex everything is getting better now from all the sides it's improving the software now we can may de- uh, design faster uh you can upload your design and uh have it very quickly uh you can sync music together within the software uh the approval process from transport canada it has improved so much they're doing great stuff mm-hmm. uh so uh, i would say everywhere there is a huge improvement in drone like show and i see a lot impro- a lot of improvement coming up in future and i will also say uh, i think we're going to we're going to have so many companies in canada and it's going to be great for our climate uh, it's going to be great for our uh, for nature that uh, we're going to have a clean solution i'm very i'm very motivated and excited for that for sure Bro- Drone Light Show Canada is the name of the company, and Anugra Patel is the founder and, uh, I guess, the CEO and everything else in between. And uh, I wish you all the best because it it looks really, really cool, and I can't wait to see one in person, see one of these light shows in person. And I wish you all the best. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much for having us. For sure, we're going to show you a beautiful show somewhere. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay? Okay. Okay. Are you okay with Okay, Ryan, uh let's get started. Are you okay with mayors? Mayors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting like how some towns nobody knows who their mayor, mayor is and then we have the like elections in Toronto and everybody knows who the mayor of yeah. the city is, right? Like uh which is interesting, right? Because I would be surprised if somebody from like somebody could name somebody from outside of Calgary could say who the mayor of Calgary is. But if you are in Calgary, you know who the mayor is. Whereas then there's these weird exceptions where we all know who the mayor of a certain city is. And uh, even though like it doesn't there anything they do has a very little impact on our lives. So mayor, like if I was ever going to be a politician though, I feel like I would want to be a mayor. You know, I don't think I'd want to govern anything larger than a city. Uh, Cause I feel like a mayor would be a, a nice little sweet spot where, you know, you're still 
you know, you got some power, you're still in charge, but, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a more focused scope than, uh, you know, a continent. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I think a mayor can be a little kookier than, than say a, a premier or a prime minister. Yes. You kind of get, more you get the weirdos. Well, you can get the weirdos. You can get the, the fun ones. You can get people like Rob Ford. Oh man. Uh, which is is a Canadian heritage moment, uh, and uh, and even uh, you know like the uh, mayors have a lot of really funny interviews on on local TV that right. sometimes go national. And uh, I'll give props to when I was a student at at Sate, uh, the the biggest interview I ever got to do was interviewing the mayor Nahed Nenshi. And I remember most people when you reach out as a college student, hey. Uh, can I please interview you? They say no, but Ninji said yes. Oh, will always, regardless of the politics, I will always be grateful for him agreeing to an interview about Safety Week in the city of Calgary. <laughs> Riveting journalism. I'm sure you changed some lives because there's lots of yes. you know famous mayors, like of course Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. Now I'd like to turn things over to our Grand Marshal, Mr. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> I'd say this vessel could do at least warp five. <laughs> and let me say, may the force be with you. Do you even know who I am? I think I do. Weren't you one of the little rascals? <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Nimoy and Mayor Quibby. Well, a Texas woman became a famous mayor of a Canadian city by accident. Uh, the Texas woman named uh, Regina Mayer finally met the mayor, or Regina, I guess, was she Regina Mayer? Uh, yes, her and, name is Regina Mayer, and, and she met... The mayor of Regina, mayor of Regina. Uh, Sandra Masters, after a social media mix-up with the names. And uh, you guys covered this on Are You Okay? last year, and now we can bring you the details of the very special meeting. It brings me great pleasure and what an honor to introduce you to Regina Mayer. The OG Regina Mayer. A real Texas woman mistaken for the mayor of Regina. It just came to our attention that she was receiving messages that were intended for the mayor of Regina, but they were going to Regina Mayer. It started in 2022 after she was tagged on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Regina Mayer. It's just my name. And I'm frequently confused mistaken for being the mayor of this lovely town, Regina. And I, I'm just a concerned citizen, so I want to make sure that when people send a tweet, they know that the message is not going to the intended recipient. So I've, I've done this studiously through the years, uh, just said, I'm not the mayor, this is my name. Regina works with KMPG and is on a trip to Toronto. She couldn't resist stopping to pay a visit to Regina and meets the mayor. I've always been curious about Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, I'm born and raised in Hawaii. promise you and my parents named me Regina Mayer. They had no idea there was a town <laughs> named Regina in Canada that I could be considered the mayor of someday. And so we're milking this 15 minutes for all it's worth from my perspective. So happy to be here and thank you for having me. Are you going to arrest me? <laughs> no, do you hit I it hard or do you, you hit it soft? I've never hit the gavel. Why not? Apparently my voice is stern enough. <laughs> Since the mix-up, uh, Mayer had generated a uh, really big Canadian following on Twitter. And since she showed up in Canada, Mayer has received a Saskatchewan Rough Riders jersey with the name Mayer on the back. So there you go. Uh, Great story. Let's continue on. Are You Okay? 
with tourists. Hmm. I I like touring. Mm-hmm. I like being able to go to a new place. I'm hoping I may have a chance of going to Italy this year. Wow. Perhaps early next year. I'm very excited. However, I hate being a tourist and I hate tourists. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I hate walking in a city or, or a village or anywhere where I haven't been and people who live there look at me in the eyes and can immediately tell I do not live here. And I just, I feel, I, I like feel like there's this beacon on me and I, it's a gross feeling. And then, you know, I, uh, I've never really been to a place that's has a high, high tourists. Uh, but I can imagine like living in Venice. I've watched this documentary about how Venice ba- like wants to ban tourists because they're destroying their city you know yeah. what i mean like so it's uh it's a fine line to be a tourist yeah a fine line you walk especially in places like italy and france because yep. in the summer it is so crowded just crawling with tourists and i remember i was in the metro in paris uh, years and years ago with uh, my then very new wife and we were, we, uh, were trying to get somewhere. We were a little bit lost and I, there was a guy standing there and he seemed friendly enough and he spoke English and I asked him and I said, do you know how we could get to, and before I could say where we were going, he looked at me and he went, where, Euro Disney? In a really snotty way, oh, and it, oh, it was, it, and I just laughed at that, and I said, "Oh, this, that's that is so classic, French. dickish tourist from France." And yeah. he, I, he actually laughed at that. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, he. You called him out on it. I called, most people wouldn't call him out on it, and wh- he was like, "Finally, somebody has called me out." <laughs> well, a cigarette. I can't remember what I said. I don't think I used the word dickish, but I, I said, "Wow, you're the per- the perfect." surly French tourist. Thank you so much for doing that because we really wanted to see one on this trip. <laughs> you did it. You crossed <clears throat> off a bucket list item right there. Yes. And then he was actually really nice. And then he ended up talking to me for quite a while about how to get oh. to where we were going. There you go. See, that's yeah. fantastic. Fantastic. But being a tourist, I mean, it's it's one of those things that you can complain about tourists, but sometimes you're going to be a tourist and there's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about it. Just be respectful. And, and uh, we, Claire Newell, who we have on the show all the time, uh, she just gives good advice of just do your research. Like if you're going to a place that has a different culture or a lot of historical sites, read about, are you allowed to take a selfie here? Is it incredibly disrespectful if I stand on this certain place here? Uh, I just avoid those situations. Do a little bit of research of where you're going first and avoid uh, being that guy. Yeah, and if you go to Vatican City, uh, or the Vatican, in Vatican City, um, mm-hmm. it is like a long, crowded experience, and you're going up, and then you want to see the, uh, I forget what it's called, the David. St. Peter's? Well, it's the, the it's Basilica? The, it's the big painting on the ceiling, uh, the birth of whatever. Uh, oh, David. David, is it the... Uh, they're touching fingers. Uh, and, yeah, I know which one. And then about, yeah. you go up and you see it and it's just one of many and they're way up there and it's way smaller than you imagine. But the main thing they keep telling you is like no talking and no photographs, no talking, no photographs. And then you go in and everybody's talking and everybody's <laughs> taking photographs. And of then course. you hear over the intercom, you hear uh, no photographs, please, no photographs. No talking. 
and then they're, and then everybody gets quiet and then they start doing it again. Um, yeah. But and then you go to some of the places, some of the the church places and the you know where the the skeletons are and oh the cry, the crypts yeah the crypts and you have to be very uh, careful about how you're dressed especially for women it seems very unfair like you can't show you know sleeveless shirts and stuff you can't wear so you have to be you know it, really right or wrong they don't like it. And, uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, Hey, if it's their rule, you know, I, I, I get it. I mean, even if it's a weird rule like that, huh? It's yeah. even, uh, like the, I, I'd love to go to Paris, but I, the amount of tourists that flock to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa, like, I don't think I would bother trying to see the Mona Lisa because the line is so long. Yeah. I'll just look at other art. Yeah. So, and, and the Mona Lisa is very small, but I mm-hmm. have to say when you do see it, it is pretty stunning because you've seen okay. it a million times and then you see, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not the real one. Maybe it's, they, they, there's some talk that maybe it's a fake one, but you see it and it's like, oh my God, I'm actually, it's like seeing a, you know, a movie star really close. You go, oh yeah, that's, that's an icon. And I see yeah. it. it actually exists. And if you go to Italy, uh, you might want to take note of this uh, because a couple vacationing in Italy have become the most wanted vandals in the world. Caught red-handed, keying the Colosseum. A pair of tourists is drawing the ire of the internet after apparently carving Ivan plus Haley 23 on the ancient walls. The 2,000-year-old Colosseum is Italy's most popular attraction, and as throngs of tourists pack in for the summer season, they say the behavior is disappointing. I understand that uh, some of them want to leave their mark, but we believe that things should be preserved as they were. I really uh, get angry with them. It helps us learn from the past. I just don't think it's right. This is the fourth case of vandalism here so far this year. Italy's news agency says the person responsible could face $15,000 in fines and up to five years in prison. Italy's culture minister says it's a sign of great incivility and hopes they find the culprit. Riley Carlson, CBS News, London. Yeah, that is pretty lame. Yeah, the incident went viral after Ryan Lutz, a fellow tourist, recorded a video of the guy as he etched the words into a brick wall with his keys. Uh, and uh, in the video, you can hear him say, are you serious, man? Uh, and uh, he says, that's effed up, man. Uh, the graffiti artist then turns around, flashes a grin to the camera while a woman, possibly the guy's girlfriend, watches beside him. Um, and there was another incident. In 2014, a Russian tourist was fined 20,000 euros, about 25,000 bucks, and received a four-year suspended jail sentence for engraving a big letter K on a wall of the Colosseum. Uh, the following year, two American tourists were also cited for aggravated damage after they carved their name into the monument. So I just, pretty lame. How do you... Like, put yourself in that guy's shoes for a second. You're looking at one of the most famous historical landmarks, not just in Italy, in the world. One of the most beautiful buildings mankind has ever put together. And you look at that and you go, I'm going to put my name on it. I'm going to take my keys and I'm going to put me plus you forever on it. Because that's how much I love you. Like, Oh. Yeah, that is pretty oh. lame. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, respecting all the the clothing uh, requirements and things. Uh, Lara 
texted us at 877-399-9898 and says that the Taj Mahal has a very strict dress code if you're going to the Taj Mahal in India. And uh, also, uh, it's the catacombs is what I was thinking of, where all the, oh, all the yeah. skeletons are. Uh, it's, it's Are You Okay? And as we continue, uh, are you okay with in-flight entertainment? Uh, I like when the, uh, you know, the, the TVs are in the back of the seats. Yeah. That's, that's great. But I will never forget... I've only been to Europe once in my life so far. Flew to London. Get on the plane, Pearson. It's 9 p.m. It's a long flight. It's an eight-hour flight across the Atlantic. Um, this is before like iPhones. I don't have it. I have an iPod with music. That's mm-hmm. it. I get on. The in-flight movie was Grown Ups, <laughs> which is not a great movie. And my headphones broke the second we left like they just stopped working on the plane. Right. And I looked out the window for eight hours with no music. And uh, it was in that moment where I was like, God, if only I had a little rectangle with all the movies I could watch on it. And that's where I'm at now, you know? Sometimes you find a good movie to watch on the plane, but now I just download movies on my phone and watch them on the plane. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same plane. way. I, yeah. I, that's what I love about flying is that I'm stuck in a chair and I can't go anywhere, but I get to watch a lot of, uh, a lot of content, a lot of movies. And uh, I, I remember the days when you'd go on and then you'd say you'd have to, cause I remember a time when there was a screen that came out of the ceiling. There were a bunch of screens and everyone was watching the same screen. Uh, yeah, that's what it was like when I was flying to the UK. It was, it was only one TV or three on the, yeah. uh, on the, uh, on the aisles. Right. So that was all you could that was all you could choose from. Yeah, and so and, you you get on the plane, and then you find out that the movie is Turner and Hooch or something, and, Turner, and, and you're Turner watching it. <laughs> yeah, you're stuck with it. At least the thing though is, if you watch a movie on the plane and it's bad, it doesn't feel like as much of a waste of time because you're on a plane. What else were you going to do? Whereas if you watch a bad movie at home or anything, you're going to feel more upset with yourself. So there is that part of it. that. That's true, and and I'm noticing now. I was on an Air Transat flight recently, and uh, there's no screen anywhere. Anywhere. You just, uh, really? yeah, no, there's, no. there was no screen. You had to have your own tablet or phone and you could log into the, it was a real rigmarole, but you could get the Wi-Fi from Air Transat and, but the, the Wi-Fi only allows you to go to their movie page. And, uh, they had a pretty small selection, but, uh, I was able to watch, I, I looked for some old movies. I watched, um, the, uh, the Green Mile. Which I'd never. Oh, seen. that's a great movie, and it's long. And I thought Very this long. is the one to watch. I've never seen it, and I should watch really? it. Really? Yeah. A trucker, really? trucker Dan just texted and said, "At least the in-flight movie was an airplane," which is, <laughs> which I think would be good. But I bet they wouldn't show airplane. Um, anyway, uh, flights uh, can get pretty boring, as we've just discussed, and I'm like, I'm petrified that I'll be stuck without a device or headphones or whatever. Um, or at least a book, uh, something, uh, a guy on a flight was not going to let a lack of a TV screen ruin his day. Uh, this guy had a better idea. An airline passenger thought he had seen it all until this flight. Apparently in-flight entertainment was not offered on this plane. So there was a man who had three seats to himself, and he got creative. 
settled in, started using a film projector to watch a movie on the overhead bins of the cabin. The man even displayed subtitles so others could enjoy this impromptu cinema experience. The movie was The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson. <laughs> a, a projector. Yeah, he has those. They're, you can get pretty uh, small little projectors now, and even ones where you um, it attaches to your phone, so it'll blow up the image that's on your phone. And I'm pretty sure that's the type of projector he was using in this particular circumstance. Yeah, that, that would make sense, because when I first heard the word projector, I immediately thought of, you know, like, grade 10 and you're watching a movie with a 16 millimeter projector and i thought how do you get that through the screening of the airplane but i guess it's these little digital projectors now of course (laughs) yeah it is pretty cool uh it was uh captured on video everything nowadays it didn't happen unless somebody else films it with their with their phone uh by a guy an australian guy named douglas lazik kirk Uh, He was sitting behind the projector-wielding passenger, and according to Lazik Kirk, the unknown passenger began the movie three or four hours into this flight. It was a 12-hour flight. Uh, Nobody complained, uh, and uh, the passenger would move the projector whenever a person walked by so it wouldn't hurt their eyes. Oh, amazing. That sounds like the best flight ever. Even if you had like, if it was a boring flight, the fact that nobody complained, people complain about everything these days. I saw a video of a woman in Nanaimo complaining that her coffee she ordered didn't come in a ceramic mug instead of a, like she was mad it was in a plastic cup instead of a ceramic mug. Like people complain about everything. But in this moment on that plane, nobody Nobody was like, that's not okay. And I think that is the best part of the entire story for me. So kudos to this guy. Not all heroes wear capes. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 